Amen. You may have a seat. So get started here. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Luke chapter 6. I'm sorry, 9. A little dyslexia there. Luke chapter 9. And I've entitled the sermon tonight as More Than Enough. And you'll see what, we're, what we mean there uh, in here just a, in just a minute. So if you will, stand with me if you will. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be in verses 10 through 17. It says this. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. Late in the day, the twelve, apostles, the twelve approached and said to him, Send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging, because we're here in a deserted place. Hm. You give them something to eat, he told them. Uh, we, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For about 5,000 men were there. Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did as he said, and, he, and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. Jesus, we pray tonight that you would open up your words to us, that we may know you, that we may know more about you, and, and, know, and Lord, know your heart for this world, for us as your people, and God, to stir within us an affection and, and a knowledge, understanding, and drive, Lord Jesus, to rely on you, to trust you. So Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would you pour out your, yourself on us in a word of knowledge. Open up your, up your words, even if it's something that I say or something that I don't say. It's something that your word says to each one of us here tonight. Let what you say through your word be what, 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 we, what we leave here tonight. Shouting and praising and stirring within our hearts and our spirits. As we reflect on your goodness. As we reflect on your power, your grace, your joy, and your peace. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Do you ever have a mountaintop experience? Go to like a, a summer camp. I remember youth camp all the time when I was growing up. So I'm, you know, I'm a child of a, of a youth pastor. And growing up, we'd go to camps and retreats and mission trips and all sorts of stuff. And no matter how difficult it was, no matter what, what trials you know, happened, either during the mission trip or during the summer camp, the things that God was stirring or convicting, or no matter how much the girl that was really cute didn't like me, yeah, at the end of summer camp, you know, 
God still did some amazing things at the end of each summer camp. And I always came down from summer camp, coming down from the mountain back to the valley with this mountaintop experience and feeling like I can just take on the world only to get it flattened by the world. To, get, you know, to, you know, then disappointment and the disillusionment or you know, reality, you know, a.k.a. the emotions of everyone else who didn't go and experience the mountaintop experience, in essence felt like it sucked out the joy of my experience. Sucked out the, the drive of that mountaintop experience. No, one, no wonder Jesus often went to secluded places to do this because he knew that he had to get with his father. He had to get into a time of prayer, get, get into God's presence that we've been experiencing here tonight in order to be refreshed so that he could let other people suck it out of him. Amen. Literally, you know, physically healing and spiritually, emotionally sucking it out of Jesus. You know, as, we're, as we've been looking at this passage, so last week um, Cody preached on um, uh, Luke chapter 9, the first part of it, where Jesus um, sends out the twelve and commissions them with a commission of renewal, whispers of renewal. The kingdom of God is a wave, an awakening of renewal. And I'm so appreciative of, of Cody. I got to watch this sermon, and I really appreciated what he did with this passage because it, it seems like kind of a, just a basic, you know, send them out, and they, you know, this happens, and that happens, and then they come back. But Cody was able to, I just love what he was able to bring out with the kingdom of God. And this is the beginnings, the, the whispers, the rumblings of God's renewal through the kingdom of God in this world that we are now living in today. And God is equipping us for that same mission, that commission of renewal. You know, the disciples are all pumped up after this experience of going out. And what does it say? He gave them power and authority over the demons to heal diseases. This is last week's sermon, last week's passage. And he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. All these things were happening, and all the disciples came back and were reporting all these things to Jesus. And they were just like, can you just giddy? I mean, you ever have a kid who just like is telling you all about the experiences that they had at the theme park? Or telling a friend, you go to, you know, like we went to Silverwood, you know, a few weeks ago at the end, at the beginning of the month, and Jackson was just like telling people like crazy, all of his friends, and he's still talking about it today. Just talking about Silverwood, talking about the roller coasters, talking about the water park, talking about camping. We have this, this nighttime tradi- you know, uh, kind of routine right now. We have this, this uh, imaginary friend named Tootsie. This little river otter toy that, that Jackson has, but it's an imaginary friend that follows us on adventures. And Jackson always wants to hear a Tootsie story. And basically Tootsie goes and he's, you know, like all the, the adventures that we went on last summer, like to Delmo and all sorts of things, he's following along. And Jackson, you know, hears the story about Tootsie and he gets super excited. He loves the experience and coming back and telling the story. These are what, that's what the disciples are doing in this moment. They returned, the apostles returned. They reported to Jesus all that they had done. And what does he do? He tries to create a space to debrief, to rest. Because they've been going like crazy. And they're, t- they're tuckered. He took them along with, and, you know, and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. He tried to create this space to celebrate 
these things, to celebrate what they had done through the power of Jesus as they returned from their mission, only to be interrupted again, as usual. But it's amazing to see what Jesus does in this. That even with the interruptions, even with all the, the stories of what's going on, like all the hustle and bustle, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but all these things, the, the imagery that I want to focus on here tonight, that we keep coming back to, keep coming back to, and even as Jesus sent them out last week, we keep coming back to this, this phrase, and it's this, that God takes our not enough and makes it more than enough. Now, as we get into this passage, there's, there's been a lot of criticisms, you know, in modern day scholarship. And it's every time you say, like, you know, every, every time you see in a commentary, you know, modern scholars believe, blah, 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 just, cr- just scratch it out. Modern scholars are dumb in a lot of ways. But so because a lot of modern scholars are trying to explain away the miracle. They're trying to take this miracle and, you know, teach it that it's like, you know, Jesus taught them to share. Could it, did anyone else have struggles sharing when they were kids? I was held back in, you know, in kindergarten because my parents said I couldn't share. Still better. Because I could have graduated in the year 2000 and gotten a big button. You know, it says year 2000, class of 2000. I know. I'm, I'm kind of in that little you know, Gen Xer, millennial. I'm kind of, I'm, we call ourselves the Millennium Falcons. <laughs> Grew up on Star Wars. You know, but they tried to like... The you know, modern scholars try to say that they only like took little bite-sized, you know, um, bites of the of the, the bread, and they passed it around, which is where we get our modern-day communion from—the little wafer and the little, little bite-sized, like bite-sized portions. Um, or that Jesus separated them into groups and made them, and this like separating them out into groups of fifty actually made them produce the fruit, the, the food that they already had stashed away that they weren't sharing like you little kids in kindergarten that got held back and still better (laughs) but that jesus you know somehow with the splitting up a group of people into groups of 50 that this made them produce the food that they were stashing away and hiding right more accountability but basically what they're trying to say is that the miracle here was not a miracle but it was more a miracle of generosity and that's not what he's saying here. The, you know, generations after generations, even I think to the very earliest accounts in the early church fathers, account this as a miracle. So if you want to figure out who is more reliable to the story, find out who it actually happened to and the people that they told. And that's who we get to here is modern, is ancient scholars that always attribute this to a miracle. This was a miracle. This was also, if you look in the context here, let's look at the context with all the Gospels. This is one of the first, this is one of the, I'm not first, one of, this is one of the only accounts in all of Scripture, in all, the, in all four of the Gospels, that is covered in each Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four Gospels account this narrative. And some in different ways. And so we're going to put them all together and get a good picture of what's going on here. The culmination of uh, the, 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 what this, this, this day, this, this miracle, was the culmination of difficulties through which Jesus brought 
breakthrough. Through which Jesus brought their not enough and turned it to make it more than enough. The entire backdrop of Luke 9 is Jesus is taking the disciples or the apostles' current state of being and showing them that they aren't enough on their own. But how Jesus makes them enough. So let's talk about not enoughs. Do you ever feel not enough? Do you ever? I feel like that all the time. Just cards on the table. Meeting with the counselor, still wrestling with this and trying to figure it out. But this, right, so we feel there's a lot of areas in our lives where we can feel this not enough. This not enoughness. Let's look at some of these. Like maybe physically, I'm not physically thin enough or, you know, muscular enough. Financially, I'm not enough. I don't feel like I've got enough. In our world today, this is the number one thing that basically it almost feels like it's, it's, it's cultivated in us. This desire that we never have enough money, have enough possessions. You always need that next thing. Look at all the billboards. They're basically telling you you don't have enough. You need that boat. You need that RV. You need that this or that. You need that house or you need that upgrade. You need that this or that. Spiritually, man, we have grown up in a, in a culture, and I've been saying this since I got here, this is something I've been wrestling with myself, is that growing up in a Christian culture that the mainstream media, and especially like in youth ministry itself, the number one thing that youth pastors like to do is, is tell their kids that they're not enough. Because it gets, it's, it's almost like it stirs this need. It's like you have a problem, you always have a problem, you should always have a problem, and we have the solution. So you've got to keep coming back to your, your dealer of spiritual feel, uh, your, your spiritual high. So we never feel spiritually enough for God. I know I've struggled with that. Am I the only one that struggles with feeling spiritually enough? Spiritually enough for God? Right? Productively, in our work, like we, we're never, we never have done enough. Parentally, we're never a good enough parent. We're never patient enough. Relationally, may breakdowns in friendships, breakdowns in relationships with other people, breakdowns in relationally in the church, friends, family, work, leadership. If you're a leader, do you feel like you're enough as a leader? Or just personally, just you know, things in our lives, we just don't feel enough. It's not just that we don't have enough bread to feed 5,000 people. We all have not enoughs in our lives. But remember that God takes our not enough and makes it more than enough. So let's look at several things that are, that are going on in, in these, you know, right now. If we look at all four counts of the narrative, um, and we're gonna, I'm going to pick and pull from like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So some of these things are not going to be in Luke, but they'll be in Matthew chapter 14 or Luke chapter 6, and I think John chapter 6. Uh, so those are the other, other ones. I should have put that on the slide, but I forgot. Sorry. Um, so Jesus sent out the 12 disciples to do ministry in the kingdom, and now they've returned, probably because as Jesus tells us, I'm sorry, as John tells us, uh, it's close to the time of Passover. Now, this is probably around year one or year two of Jesus' ministry. This is not year three, basically, where Jesus is going to his crucifixion yet. This is probably right in the middle of his ministry, probably, you know, and so 
they, you know, so basically they're happy to come back together, reconvene, so that they can go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover together. Uh, the crowds are hustling and bustling you know, around because they've been hearing about what's been going on. They've been hearing Jesus teach. They've been hearing all these things that have been going on. Um, and, uh, and so much so that the, the disciples don't have enough time to eat, I think as Mark, Mark and, and uh, Matthew tell, tell us, that the crowds are going nuts. They're, you know, the crowds were, were pressing in on Jesus. Jesus was healing and teaching and casting out demons and doing all these things. And the disciples were busy trying to like just keep it all in, in some sort of order. If you've seen The Chosen, this is the campfire episode. Sort of. It's where Jesus is off like healing. This is a, a common occurrence for Jesus. And so they're just dog-tired. And here, here, here's, here's another thing emotionally. That Jesus has just found out, according to Matthew, to Matthew and Mark, that John the Baptist, the baptizer, has, has been beheaded. His cousin and forerunner in the ministry has been martyred, has been killed. So Jesus says, y'all, we need a break. Let's get out of here. But the crowds stalk them down and show up on the scene before Jesus even gets there. And they're like, oh, well, at least we had a short, a short you know, cruise, right? Sometimes you just need a road trip. Sometimes in, in life, it's just like the, the craziness and the stresses of life, the things pressing, pressing in around you, the, the requirements at work, the requirements at home, and you just don't feel like you've got enough time in the day. Sometimes you just need to load up the, even load up the family or just load up in the car, just go for a road trip. Go for a few hours. Get a breather. This is what Jesus is doing here. This is one of my favorite things to do when I was in Seattle was, uh, you know, I would take the, you know, my car was broken, so I took the, the bus down to the shore, down to the, down to the, the, to the, the docks, and loaded up on a ferry and went over to Bremerton. It was an hour and a half cruise each way. And while I was on there, I would just sit and read, you know, get a, get a beer, because it's Seattle, there's beer everywhere. You know, get a beer, just sit and watch the sunset, or, you know, watch the, watch, you know, the city hustle and bustle and the boats on the water. Get over to Bremerton, went for lunch, and then hopped back on the boat for another hour and a half tour, hour and a half cruise, just to relax and get away from the, the hustle and bustle of ministry. Sometimes you just need a road trip. When you feel physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually drained, it can feel like you just don't have enough left in you to care and to pour out to others. At the end of the workday, it can be difficult to come home and give more energy to your family. You know, I, you know, no, I know about this. I mean, like that's one of the things that I've you know been you know known is just, you know, is you know coming home to you know family around the around the TV, you know you know TV trays and just throwing on the throwing on the TV. And it seemed like that was kind of the way that my family unwound. unwound. And we, had, we struggled to have you know, time together. I just realized that it's just the, that's why I always loved, looked forward to going out to eat with my family. Because it was the table that we shared Amen. and talked. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love me some Seventh Heaven and some American, American Funny Song videos. <laughs> you know, and some Everwood. Some of those old 
all the all these Goldies, you know, 90s TV shows, right? On the WB. Back when TV was watchable. <laughs> right? But the last thing many of us anticipate in this story, if we looked at all the context together, is compassion. Is that Jesus responds with compassion. As it says in, 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 in Mark, it says, he looked on the crowds and he didn't see another distraction, another interruption, another inconvenience, another stress to his life. Jesus looked at the crowd and he saw compassion. They were like, what does he say? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so we come to the shore. We come to the shore here. And uh, this is a little bit, a little bit of a background on Bethsaida. So this is from John chapter 1. It says, now Philip was from the Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. I didn't know that till today. For some reason, I've always missed this. That this is the hometown of Peter and Andrew. The two, the two brothers, and Philip was from there as well. And it's interesting, Matthew and Mark both have Jesus asking Philip to feed them. His family is there. His, his support system is in, is in Bethsaida. He's like, you give them something. He's like, uh, there's not enough food here. Jesus knows that. Because they know the area. They know the, the town, the city. But it's interesting to see, like, as we, as, we wrap, as we come into this, that Jesus sent them out on the mission. He's bringing them back. They've come onto the shore. And the mission of God's kingdom is going in faith in order to return and live by faith. Because this is the disciples returning back to their normal ministry. The verbiage transitions back to disciples after they return. Because the apostle, they're apostles when they go and, the, and they're disciples when they come. They were apostles when he sent them out, and now that they're back following him, they're disciples. So it's both. The mission of God's kingdom is both for us to go in faith out to the world, to minister the gospel of peace to the world around us, to proclaim the gospel, to go and bring healing, to go and bring grace and show people God's love, and to return to the church family, to our families, our homes, and to live by faith every day, to follow Jesus. Anyone ever heard the phrase, God won't ever give you more than you can handle? Where is it in the Bible? Is it, is it in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. In fact, I love this. God consistently gives his disciples more than they could ever handle so that he can be the one who provides and gets the glory, gets the praise and the honor that Jesus gets the attaboy. Amen. Jesus tells his disciples to give them something to eat. Why? Does Jesus think that there's enough, enough to eat? No. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that they can't in order to show them that they can't. Sometimes we need to be shown our need for God. Shown our desire for him. That maybe we have, we've gotten 
complacent. We've taken it for granted. We've just kind of walked away and, and thought we're good. And sometimes God can allow different things to happen in our lives to wake us up. To just wake up, back up, you know, back up. Focus, Fox. It's like the, you know, me snapping at my, at my toddlers. Jackson, 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 Jackson. We know that feeling of trying to get our toddler's attention. And sometimes that can be us. Sometimes God is like, Alan, Alan, Alan. Focus, Fox, Alan. Right here, right here. Look at me. Right? He wants to show them their inability so that he can show them his ability. So that he can show the world his ability ability. How even he started the, the passage in, in Luke chapter 9. It was he gave them power and authority over all the demons. It, might have, it would have been a little bit different if Jesus had just said like, all right, go do this. And they tried and they're like, ah! It doesn't work. As again, he reminds us in John, without me you can do what? Nothing. Without me, without me with you, without me beside you, without me giving you power and authority over demons and over healing diseases, you can do nothing. They went in his power, his authority to do these things. And what did they do? They went and they proclaimed the kingdom of God and healed the sick. And they came back. Can you, imagine, can you imagine that? God healing someone through your hands. I want to experience that. I've experienced that. I've experienced being healed. Back when we were in Midvale, I, you know, for several years, my dry eyes were just ridiculous, and I kept hard blinking all the time. And it eventually got to this thing where there was like these like kind of fans around on lights my eyes were getting damaged permanently damaged by hard blinking so i actually a lot of times i didn't i wouldn't drive at night because every time every headlight was just a fan of stuff and then one night at, at home church i asked the group to pray over me and they laid hands over my eyes and, and, and laid hands on me and my eyes just like like drenched uh water and <laughs> drenched tears I've never had that since. It completely healed instantly. I experienced God's healing through other people laying hands on me to where they're now able to take that testimony. Betsy's now able to take that testimony, putting her, eye, her hands over my eyes and proclaim the goodness of our God who heals and who used her to heal. Amazing stuff. This, is, this follows a trend, these miracles. There's a passage in 2 Kings chapter 4 where it talks about this. So they're, they're experiencing a famine in the land. And what's happened is that Israel has gone poopy again. They've turned away from God 
again, and they are, they're, just, they're just like wandering, and they're worshiping the Baals, and they're being led away by, you know, they had been led, being led away by Jezebel and all the, the, the land of, in the land of Israel. And, and this is Elisha so in the midst of a famine. There's all these different miracles that have been happening. The deadly stew, where there's, there's death in the pot, right? And then he said, you know, throw this in there, and this, and the other, throw them, and boom, it's done. And it was good. Threw in the pot, serve it, and there was nothing bad in the pot. But now we get to this place where it says this, a man of, of Baal Shalisha came to the man of God, Elisha, with his sack full of 20 loaves of barley bread from the first bread of the harvest. Elisha said, give it to the people to eat. But Elisha's attendant asked, what? Am I to set this before a hundred men? Give it to the people to eat, Elijah said. Elisha said, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and they will have, they will have some left over. So he said it before them, and as the Lord had promised, they ate and had some left over. Again, one of these things I didn't, re- I didn't remember until today when I was doing research on this. I was like, oh my gosh, it's in the Old Testament. Whoa, this isn't the first time. Whoa. It's so easy to see why Jesus keeps getting confused with Elijah and, and Elisha. Elisha is kind of known, is kind of lumped in with Elijah because he's operating in the power of Elijah. Because he goes and he you know, wants his power. So when, he, when Elijah is taken up in the whirlwind of fire, Elisha gets his power. Gets a double portion of his power on the cloak that, that fell. right? Um, and so Jesus keeps doing and saying the same things that Elijah and Elisha have done. If you, you take, take a, you know, a season or so and read through 1 you know, and 2 Kings, yeah, and you'll see these amazing things that Elijah and then Elisha are doing. Things like you know, bringing a, girl back, a dead girl back to life. Where have we seen that before? Jesus, a couple, year, a couple weeks ago. Going to the Gentiles to perform miracles. Where do we see that again? When Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon, went, to Guinness, you know, went across the sea to the, to the Decapolis to heal the demon-possessed man who was living in the caves and put the demon in the pigs, demons in the pigs. And he was also, that's also the reason why he was kicked out of Nazareth, because he quoted Elijah when Elijah went to the Gentiles instead of the Jews. And then now we come to this multiplying of bread. There's so many of these different things. Bringing back a widow's son that we read about, you know, that we talked about a, you know, a few weeks ago. But here's the thing that we, I want to I boil this down to. The purpose of these prophets, of Elijah, Elisha, all these different prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and all the miraculous things that they did was to turn the hearts of God's people back to him and being Israel, being God's nation again, being God's people again. And this is Jesus' intent. Jesus' intent, but this is like with one caveat. You know, Jesus is now establishing not Israel. He's establishing a new kingdom. And this kingdom living requires that we trust God completely. This was what the Old Old Testament prophets were all about. Wanting Israel to trust God completely again. To go and worship him in the temple. To trust them. Trust him that he would deliver them. 
This is the whole reason why Israel didn't get to go, you know, that, that nation that came out of Egypt, that whole generation couldn't enter into the promised land because they grumbled. They did not trust God. And then when, then when they regretted it, they tried to go in any, anyway, and they got, a, they got slaughtered. And every single person from that generation died out, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they, the rest of them didn't trust God completely. And this is what God is saying to us. Trust God completely. If we intend to make the gospel story, this kingdom living, our own, we will be living a venture of faith all of our lives. From the beginning, when we proclaim our faith in Jesus, to the very end of our lives, trusting God completely. From the extraordinary circumstances of being healed and, and seeing these moments where it's amazing, like the backpacking trip that I just went through on, on the beaten path, 30 miles in five days, amazing. So glorifying God in these extraordinary times and also glorifying him in the mundane. In the everyday hustle and bustle, living my life trusting God. So let me ask the question again. What areas of your life do you feel not enough? There might be multiple. But what areas? Maybe if you, you know, jot those down. Just journal about those and using those as a template to say, God, I don't feel enough here, 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 and here. I don't feel enough. Can you be my more than enough in these areas? What, would, what could God even do? What could God do with you're not enough? I mean, he took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. There were probably, up, you know, could, be, could have been upwards of 10,000 people Jesus fed miraculously because someone gave, them, gave him they're not enough. Are you willing to give God you're not enough? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly more than we could ever dare to ask or imagine, to him be glory and honor and praise. What area in your life do you need Jesus to give you your daily bread? Because remember, God takes you're not enough and makes it more than enough. He does this all throughout Scripture. Look, again, talking about Israel. Go all the way back to Israel. What happened in the wilderness during those 40 years? Did, you, did God just like, well, fend for yourselves, y'all. No, it's the desert. What did God do? He provided manna, bread. John 6 goes back, and Jesus, this is where Jesus, infamous, oh yeah, Jesus famously says, I am the bread of life. As your forefathers ate of the manna in the wilderness and yet perished, anyone who eats of this bread will live forever. Amen. And then we see this famine with Elijah. We see Jesus in this isolated place, much like Israel was in an isolated wilderness. Elijah, Elisha was in a famine wilderness. Today, gosh, especially this year, the drought, right? I just called up because my family's coming to town. I really wanted to have a campfire in our backyard. Camp. Drought is that severe that even personal campfires cannot be used. 
Well, welcome to Montana, kids. There are mountains over there. <laughs> I swear, I promise. There's some mountains. They're pretty. Here's a picture. <laughs> Just imagine. It's a day. And in, into eternity, we see these, these, this imagery of Jesus preparing a feast. In Psalm 20, 23, you prepare a feast, a banquet for me in the, in the presence of my enemies. The, the final day of the Lord is going to be a great wedding feast of the Lamb. Communion, we commune together over meals. This is supposed to, to show and display that Jesus is our more than enough for us, each other. Jesus takes what wasn't even enough for 12. Think about that. Five loaves, two fish, that wasn't even enough to feed him and his disciples. We're talking loaves is, is a part of like a personal loaf that they would have eaten themselves. That's why it's their daily loaf, their daily bread. There were only five. They're going to at least have to split it in half. And a couple of guys were going to gonna have to go hungry. But not only, he, he took all these things that wasn't even enough for 12 and fed the entire, not just the 12, but fed the entire crowd and gave them another daily bread for the next day. A, a disciple's doggy bag that they took home. Filled up 12 baskets. Not just 12 loaves, 12 baskets. Which we'll see here in a little bit is because they went up on the mountain. And they were going to need some daily bread because they were going on a hike. Right? This takes trusting God completely. Like the, I love this story. I'll close with this. That, so we have a, a camp over in, in Paradise Valley called Temple Hills. Um, and this, at this summer camp, if you've ever, you ever been there recently, all of it, the surrounding mountains are burned. All the trees are burned. Until you get to Temple Hills. You drive in and there's just trees all around the camp and burn all the way down to it. What happened was back in the 90s, the Grizzly Fire, uh, Grizzly Peak, I think Grizzly Peak Fire um, blew through there. And that, the, the fire department was actually using the camp as their, as their, their home base. And they were nervous because there were a lot of campers there. And so they were praying, you know, this group of people came out to the camp and were praying fervently on the camp, around the camp, praying that God would stop the fire. And what happened? It burned all the way down, like from here to the drums, to the cabins, and stopped. Didn't burn one cabin. Not one thing of the camps burned down. It stopped. And they call, they call it, it was a miracle. It was a Temple Hills miracle of 1992, I think it was. Firemen got saved and were baptized that summer in the river, in the creek, because they saw the faith of those and they heard the gospel proclaimed and they saw the miracle of God. They saw what they were incapable of doing, stopping this fire from taking this camp. They were, in, they were it was impossible. They were incapable, but they watched as God was enough. They saw the goodness of God to answer the prayers of his saints. And that's what God wants to do in your life. That's God's heart for you. He wants to take your not enough 
and make it more than enough. What could God do with your not enough? Write that list down. Go and, do, and dwell in that and pray. And every time you say, I'm not enough financially, I'm not enough emotionally, I'm not enough to fight my temptations, I'm not enough, fill in the blank. And then one by one, as you pray for them, scratch them out and say, God, you be more than enough. Give me your, not, your more than enough here. And the God who loves you wants to bless you in these areas. What could God do more than you could ever dare to ask or imagine? Jesus, we pray tonight that you would bring your more than enough. God, we come before you needing you, God. We are desperate for you every day. We need your presence. We need your spirit. We need your power. We need your authority. That we may make much, can make much of your name so that you can get all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. As people see our lives transform, we can give all glory to you. Lord, we pray that you would come through. You've, you've promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed come through for each person here today. That you would reach deep down into their spirits and you would grasp their heart and their spirit that feels incapable, that feels in bondage. No one even may know these different hidden areas in their hearts. Even ourselves, we may not even know. But Lord, reach deep down inside of us and pull out our not enough and pour into us your more than enough. Give us faith, God, to trust you completely with our lives because we've seen the good that you do with it. We love you and we praise you. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.